Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to this podcast episode of Vidas and Vibes. Thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for listening. And um, yeah, let's get right into today's podcast. And so on today's podcast, we have, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Coral Avery. Uh, I use she and they pronouns. I'm an enrolled member of the Shawnee tribe. Um, I'm a transfer and first generation college student at OSU, start uh, studying human dimensions of natural resources and sustainability. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing um, a little more about yourself and go beeves. Uh, um, and so, yeah, um, you all know me, um, Jasmine Thais. And so, yeah, would you like to say a fun fact about yourself, Coral? Oh, um, <laughs> I can't really think of a fun fact off the top of my head. What are some hobbies you have or what do you like to do? Um, sure. Um, I do photography. I do beading. Um, my family has five goats. Those, those are a fun fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those are definitely interesting um, facts. Um, so, yeah, a fun fact that I would like to share on today's podcast is um, Armenian blackberries are an invasive species of uh, for the state of Oregon. And I know that because I learned that in high school when I took an environmental science class. And in high school, I worked as a landscaper and I was able to see how, um, further see how if you cut, or if you were to trim these Armenian blackberries or the general blackberry vines that you see, um, one might see in, um, in a backyard or schoolyard, um, um, to if you just trim these Armenian blackberry plant species, um, they're gonna grow. Um, and so, for example, if someone is trying to clean up a school site, uh, you actually have to dig into the ground and take the roots um, from the take the roots of the Armenian blackberry plant and yeah so I think that was interesting that's an interesting fact that I or yeah fun fact that I myself um, have learned so yeah I can definitely uh, relate to you there. I've done a lot of invasive species removal and blackberry is really the worst because of the fruits. They're impossible to get out. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, and so um, would you like to share a quote um, today and why you resonate with that quote? Sure. Um, I'd actually love to share about a book uh, as opposed to just one quote. Um, but one of my favorite books that I've read is As Long As Grass Grows by uh, Dina Galeo Whitaker. Uh, she talks a lot about the indigenous perspective of the environmental movement and how a lot of different uh, as aspects of life from like politics, natural resources, uh, spirituality and culture and how they all kind of work together um, in creating of course she doesn't really use the word sustainable uh, necessarily but in creating a more sustainable future um, within social environmental and economic uh, dimensions so i very highly suggest that book 
Yeah. No, yeah, that sounds interesting. Thank you for sharing um, that book recommendation. And um, the quote that I would like to share on this podcast today is, um, climate change is happening, humans are causing it, and I think this perhaps the most serious environmental issue facing us. And that was said by Bill Nye, um, mostly referred to Bill Nye the science guy. And um, yeah, I think I resonate with this quote because humans ourselves, we are the ones that are basically, we are, we should be held accountable and we are responsible for what is happening on with our earth, um, nature, um, for example, um, we're the ones that are either building on the land or we're the ones that are trying to improve the land. And so I think that um, I really enjoy this quote because humans are a part of the reason why issues are being occurred. And it's important for us to understand that um, understand that and I know that a lot of people understand that but just continuing to have conversations about why it's important and why it's a um so yeah um on today's podcast we will be talking about education and youth empowerment beginning sips about if one wants to look into um more environmental friendly practices bringing more awareness to those um, economic factors um, and also just climate change education and what that might look like um, and then we're going to talk about ecofascinism, environmental racism, greenwashing activism, individual and systematic sustainability changes and we're going to highlight on how COVID the 2020 uh, pandemic uh, COVID-19 has highlighted environmental issues and what is occurring and what maybe because of this pandemic, what can we learn as a society or generation or just communities or students to further help implement further change and bring new ideas to um, the upfront. And so, yeah, um, I'll go ahead and let you start the conversation, Coral. And yeah. Sure. So um, currently I'm working uh, as a uh, Pathways intern, excuse me, for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. I'm working with the Affiliated Tribes of Northwest Indians and Northwest Climate Adaptation Science Center. And my focus there is really about Indigenous youth programming centering topics of climate change. Uh, and a lot of the things that we're working on are, uh, I'm running a video proposal um, or video submission program for youth to, to share their stories and experience around um, climate change, greenhouse gas policy, if they've been involved in like lobbying uh, or otherwise writing letters to legislators and really bringing larger attention to their tribe or to the state or even the federal level of uh, the kinds of things that they and their people are experiencing because of climate change, because of other environmental issues. And then we're also doing programs like a, an annual youth summit and a summer camp program that unfortunately has been delayed because of COVID, um, but will continue again, hopefully, uh, next year. And so these things, I think, just really bring to attention, like how much the youth 
are already doing. Um, and I know I framed that in a way of these are programs that we're putting on for the youth, but the youth are putting on their own programs too. There's kids going out and encouraging their teachers to bring them uh, here in Oregon, like up to Salem to the Capitol to lobby to attend climate rallies and things like that. Um, and we're just hearing like young voices. It's, it feels like more now than ever um, about the urgency of climate change and why we have to really do something about it. Yeah, I agree. Um, continuing to, for people, individuals to do things about, um, about these, um, just encouraging people to take care of mother, um, mother nature, as I also am a strong advocate of we should treat um, every day as Earth Day. Um, don't get me wrong, that's not devaluing Earth Day. I think that's also a great day, but continuing that momentum and that we should have that much action and involvement or activism. I think that'd be cool to see that more on an mm -hmm. annual basis. Um, and so, yeah, I think just you sharing that, that's really cool to hear that there, there's a lot of, a lot of youth um, that have put up, put in work and yeah, but yeah. Um, I have a question. So for someone, how would you say, or what advice would you give um, for someone who might not know about climate change, but wants to learn more about climate change or ways that someone can get involved with climate change. And so, yeah, any f advice or just any feedback from that you are informed with that might be helpful? Oh, yeah. Um, I think social media has been one of the greatest tools in learning about climate change and environmental activism in general. Um, and it's been especially strong recently with bringing um, attention to the fact that this has always been a struggle that people are involved with. Um, it's nothing new, it's just gaining traction um, a lot more and social media and other technology has made a lot of that possible uh, because of information sharing and then people caring more and more as we're seeing in our daily lives more of the impacts of climate change um, because it's not just people who are on the front lines anymore, who are experiencing uh, the, the brunt of uh, nature's wrath, I guess I could say, uh, when these storms and other uh, tragedies happen, it's, it's really everybody who's feeling the impacts now. So um, as far as resources for learning about climate change, uh, if you're going to school, just asking your teachers in any, any kind of class it is, a social studies class, an English writing class, like really whatever it is, climate change is still relevant in that class and can be a topic of conversation for whatever you're learning. Um, hopefully your teachers would be perceptive to including that too. Um, another, I use Instagram a lot for... Um, learning new things and hearing different voices about climate change and other environmental problems as well as solutions and how that looks different in uh, different parts of the U.S. and across the world as well. Um, there's an account called So You Want to Talk About and it really 
again, it's not entirely focused on environmentalism and climate change, but it introduces a whole number of topics and you can kind of connect the dots of why that's still relevant um, to this topic as well. And they try to highlight some other voices. Uh, there's another account called Brown Girl Green that I really enjoy um, and Queer Brown Vegan as well. That's uh, one of my favorites too. But I think another thing to just highlight when you're learning about, well, really any topic, but also environmentalism is remembering who the people on the front lines of change are because it's black, indigenous, queer, people of color, first and foremost. And our environmental movement, as we know it in the US today, tends to be dominated by white people, cis hetero white people. So we just need to remember who's contributing the least and doing the most to, to solve this problem and really listen to those voices. Yeah, thank you for highlighting that. I think um, alongside the idea of how um, climate change activism might look like or similar or um, how it might contradict very um, throughout countries or um, or compare and contrast um, throughout countries. And I think that's very important to also highlight. Um, and I state that because I wanted to bring up uh, the fact that um, I myself was in a gelato shop last summer in um, Ferrara, Italia. And there I saw a trash can in a public space um gelato shop and that trash can was very interesting um because it had the each section was like oh trash plastic straw and so just seeing that, that that's a norm in a public space i thought was cool because i haven't seen um uh a trash can like that in the United States and um, and I think that'd be cool to kind of see that in the United States and maybe that from my understanding I haven't from my knowledge I haven't seen one in the United States but I think that'd also be cool to implement practices like those throughout the United States or just things like that um, and I thought that was very interesting because I saw um, a little girl I actually wrote a blog post about this um, but I saw a little girl just as her her parents were kind of like showing her like oh yeah like you know like um, bringing up front the education and how are children being learned about um, uh, practices climate change practices or positive climate change positive climate um, um, brain fart. I'm going to edit this. Like um, individual sustainability efforts? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, but for I just wanted to highlight that and how it's important. How is this generation learning about um, learning about what's occurring with our earth um, and the ways that people can be involved? And so, yeah, I just wanted to say that, but um, sure. I'll let you go ahead and talk about the Go ahead and continue the conversation. Yeah. 
That that's really cool. And I know we've had conversations too about our our study abroad experiences and with regards to like recycling or at least sorting your waste properly. That was definitely my experience in Germany as well because the apartment that I was living in while going to school there had like I think five different containers for just the the apartments recycling in each uh, apartment as well as the larger areas the like dumpsters or recycling larger recycling bins for the whole unit where you would go and sort out like your green glass your brown glass bottles your um, cans um, things like batteries and everything they recycled separately um, some of the areas had compost in it which isn't something that's done at a very large scale at all in the US um, and it, it was just really great to see, even though recycling is definitely not an end all issue, it's that kind of mindfulness um, around it and their system that, that's in place, at least in, in Germany and in some other countries uh, in Europe and beyond, is still far superior to the United States. We, we have a pretty large uh, superiority complex. <laughs> around a lot of things that we do in this country and our recycling systems are just not where they need to be. And I think we as a country and, and as a globe, um, at least especially focused on um, US, Canada and Europe need to really focus on minimizing waste um, and just, yeah, not, not using things that we don't absolutely need altogether because then we, when we're not using more than we need, we don't have to worry about disposing it after. So that, yeah, those were my thoughts after um, the story that you shared. Yeah, um, and yeah, I think also ways that understanding that um, recycling isn't the only solution to climate change. There's a lot of kind of with like intersectionality with like well, there's various subgroups on what we need to do to help continue to advocate for more positive um, for more activists to be involved in climate change. And I say that um, because maybe that can look like for individuals um, going to the thrift store and um, buying, um, recycling uh, clothes and, you know, buying from your local thrift store or um, trying to not um, shop more at those um, um, chain uh, mm -hmm. stores and I'm not telling people what to do but maybe taking into consideration of like oh like maybe taking practice more practice into um, going to the thrift store and I did read a quote one time um, I don't remember who said it um, but it's, we don't need a thousand people, um, taking part in climate change activism perfectly. We need a thousand people taking part in climate activism imperfectly. But even then, if you have a thousand people that are trying to make small changes, there's already an emphasis and mo a momentum right then, right there. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that too. And yeah, I think that's great. Um. That's a great um, food for thought right there. Yeah, I really appreciate that quote too. I've seen that one before as well. Um, I did want to tie the conversation back a little bit to what you asked earlier about how people can get involved. 
um, or also what you were talking about with education uh, for these kind of topics. And it definitely uh, can start at a young age for some people and reflecting on your own life and experiences, which is something that not everybody really values or has the time for. Um, and so it, it kind of ties back to that bit about mindfulness again of um, ref reflecting on your experiences, thinking about being really intentional with your per uh, purchases, um, and then listening to, to other people's stories and experiences and finding your own story as well of like why you care about this, um, how you got involved in it, and where you can move forward with it. So when I used to live um, in Southern California, I worked at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park and we had educational programs for um, local kids, but also a summer camp where we had a lot of uh, kids from all across the world uh, that would be there with their families on vacation. And during their summer camp programs and the programs uh, for lo local kids throughout the year, like school programs, we would have tours of the different animals there at the zoo. We would talk about things like um, climate change and what is contributing to climate change. We would talk about um, the inequities of that. The, the easy things to do at home, the easy solutions um, for people like using reusable bags and reusable bottles or eating more plant-based food. Um, not necessarily strictly just going vegan, but doing those small things um, of using less waste, of being more mindful about what you eat and just contributing less overall. Um, but we also did things like talking about growing your own food and turning your lawn into a garden um, or trying compost at your own house, or we even did water testing in a little wetland area of the park so that we could better um, work with these third graders in this case to understand like the whole system um, of a watershed and how things naturally purify and how introducing things like um, oil or plastic pollution and other things, how it really takes a toll on not just uh, the water that the plants need, that wildlife need, but that we also need. Um, and yeah, just how everything kind of fits together in that way. Um, and some of the kids shared about like how, of course not really using these words, but kind of transformative that experience was and how they um, were thinking about what that change would look like to them in the future too and i hope that <laughs> with those takeaways kids decided to get involved in whatever small way they can because those small things really add up to make a difference yeah i definitely agree um and i um from personal experience um i myself was involved in a program called other than Mujeres in high school and this is a nonprofit that helps um helps empower Latina girls um, that inspire to be um, involved or just continue helping create a community of Latina leaders. Um, and through this program, I was actually involved in um, several environmental exposure um, 
programs that expose me to, um, uh, for example, I learned about environmental, I learned about environmental, um, I learned about invasive and in, um, native plants for Oregon. I took, uh, my main, my main uh, summary here is that because of that, I was exposed to, hey, this is what it means like to be in nature and being able to identify, oh, that's a native plant. Um, and not, uh, I want to say that because who has access to programs like, like these? Um, do all communities have access to, to programs like this? And if so, um, what can we as a society do to continue to um, encourage these types of programs to happen? And I definitely would say that um, that's just... Re, um, reassuring that um, push of yeah it's important to have just climate change education in general and so yeah yeah I totally agree and the answer there as you know is definitely not is it's not a an equal or equitable um, thing how education works around these kind of topics and at the same time even when the education is there, it's not complete either because it's still leaving out a lot of voices. It's leaving out a lot of the important different perspectives mm -hmm, yeah. with other uh, parts of our society. And it yeah. focuses so much um, through this idea of like mainstream environmentalism on like, you have to have the look, you have to have your hydro flask with you all the time. You have to have um, this very particular like your material and yeah. or your metal straw exactly when in reality not everybody really needs that maybe you didn't even use straws in the first place but now you feel like to be a sustainable person you have to go out and buy more and keep consuming more and more things so it really uh is what i'm getting at here is the the evils of capitalism <laughs> quite frankly and how it works against um, lower income and marginalized communities that are already seen as, you know, there's a lot of really negative stereotypes towards people of like not having enough. Like say it louder for the people in the background. <laughs> <laughs> people aren't causing the problem, but they're having to deal with those problems. And in your introduction, we we're saying that one of the things that we were going to introduce was this topic of environmental racism. I guess it's time to get into it. <laughs> Um, but environmentalism or environmental racism as a whole is just really like the disproportionate impacts of who's contributing and experiencing the worst uh, effects of environmental issues. So that can be anything from like um, the, the Navajo Nation suffering from intense uranium pollution um, in that area from nuclear testing or Warm Springs Reservation here in Oregon, to keep it more local, have been without um, consistently clean water for over a year. Yeah, I think it was last May that um, those issues started really surfacing and that they started putting the word out about it. And it's because when that reservation was um, constructed, they really put no effort into the piping um, and they're completely failing. There's uh, it's it's contaminated the water and then they also only have the legal rights from the state to use a certain water source and it's one of the most polluted rivers in the state 
even though there's a much closer and cleaner um, water source that also has much more meaning to them, they're not allowed to use that because of the way that things have systemically been put in place. So I guess that's my short intro to environmental racism. Um, and it's, there's just such a disproportionate impact on black indigenous um, people of color communities across the US. And definitely if we got into things internationally as well, the global South is suffering so much more than the global North because of our systems of capitalism. And yeah, we could get really deep into that conversation. Yeah. I was going to say that <laughs> I was going to say like intersectionality and how that ties into just in general, your nationwide United States inequalities, um, not only uh, financially, economically, but there's just so many injustices in how your minority communities are being affected and that your um, how some certain groups of people have privileges and because of these privileges, you're not really affected by these problems. So um but these problems exist these problems are occurring these problems are happening and it's important to acknowledge that there are privileges and um there are privileges that um certain communities certain um going back to the capitalism um also that it's important for us to acknowledge that yeah we ourselves the um can take part in um um, wanting to advocate, but also reminding ourselves to hold accountable of those that are causing the um, greenhouse emissions into the to the air, whether that be your fast um, fashion or things like that. And um, and so, yeah, I also wanted to talk about that and just mm -hmm. yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, and to. I guess kind of kind of summarize several points that we've made already. If we're looking at who's really to blame here, what these systems are trying to do is pit certain people against each other when it's not about necessarily, it's not really about community to community. For example, with the Dakota Access Pipeline, which again, if you read As Long As Grass Grows, the book that um, I suggested instead of a quote at the beginning, it really dives into um, the fight for environmental justice at Standing Rock, the initial pipeline was going to go through an area where there was um, a, a white community and they rejected it immediately and they didn't even try to build it around this community because they had opposition. But as soon as they tried to put it in an area that was significant, well, I'm sure that many areas are significant, but into an area that was more significant to the Dakota, they didn't really care <laughs> they still built the pipeline through there and um there's been a lot of changes since then that i definitely suggest um folks read about as well and i've learned a lot about um with everything that's been happening just in the past year with the pipeline but yeah um it's the evil itself was the pipeline the evil itself is big oil and we have to remember that and try to work together and um collaborate on fighting what those real problems are or fast fashion like it's really about these industries that are feeding off of or the uh, meat industry for that matter 
Yeah, exactly. Meat yeah. industry too. And agriculture um, as a whole has mm-hmm. a lot of issues. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to add to that. Um, I can't recall if I've already emphasized this in a podcast episode, but just reminding, um, bringing that um, up again, that it shouldn't be um, group A versus group B. It should be group A and B working for the global issue or the political issue. It shouldn't be your to kind of pay like a metaphor to it. You're lefty mm-hmm. and your righties for a change in uh, in a, for you know it should be it should be working acknowledging I myself I think that um, just continuing to um, have conversations and I glad that it's becoming a norm that um, it's okay to um, for one to change their opinion after um, having more knowledge and it's okay to have these conversations where groups of people are uh, are trying to tackle a, a issue or a problem or uh, uh, just a political issue maybe and yeah, I think just, I really wanted to share the song. Yeah, so I wanted to shout out the song called Stand Up, Stand and Rock um, song. And yeah, they're talking about the pipeline and the, they're talking about, I just want to shout that song out. I think that song has is a strong advocate on bringing more um, acknowledgement and awareness Um and so, yeah, I just want to shout that song out. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely um, think it's important to acknowledge what communities are taking action, what communities are being exploited from um, just in general, what bring more awareness of climate change activism or climate change um, mm-hmm. the need and um, I think I'll quickly um, read the little like description for the song that I recommend is this song was created in support of the Standing Rock Reservation um, and yeah and so I think it's sh- shout out that song and y'all should go listen to it um, but yeah back into our discussion yeah um, I can bring it back uh, because a lot of people, when they're first hearing about environmental issues and climate change, their minds immediately go to the economics of it and thinking like, we can't change something as large as capitalism. It really has a grip on our society. Um, and, and also actually really quickly before that, bringing it back to what you said about, uh, it's not a leftist or um, right kind of thing this really should be a nonpartisan issue. And I say should be because it's not being represented like a nonpartisan issue, but no matter what your political opinions are, everybody is going to be impacted some more quickly than others, but everybody will suffer because of climate change and because of other environmental issues. And we have to, of course, do something about it. And when I say do something, that might mean some of the more individualistic 
changes that we talked about before, but again, um, thinking about who the, the problem is here is these larger industries. So economics doesn't take externalities into account when measuring GDP, which is known as being like the indicator of economic success. So things like, um, and that includes both negative and positive externalities. So positive externalities might be something like uh, education, where you benefit not only as an individual, but your community around you or society also benefits. Or things like choosing to walk or bike to work or the store or to visit a friend instead of driving, you're going to benefit in a lot of ways, but so is the rest of society because you're reducing your carbon footprint um, or at least the emissions from that one drive to the store um, if you were deciding to otherwise like drive by car or even take a bus, although always choose public transit over <laughs> driving your own vehicle. And then things like negative externalities are like air and water pollution because nobody benefits from that, even if it's something like a water bottle company that wants to use a, a water source in the future their practices are polluting water everywhere. They're going to have less of a resource to pull from, and then they're also stealing it and polluting the waters of other communities that rely on those sources. So those negative externalities and positive externalities are not taken into account with economics. So one way that we can change is to try to shift our mindset around that and, um, well, what would really be really amazing is if we made larger changes for how we really measure GDP. Um, and I'm not sure what that process looks like to make that happen, but that's just a consideration that I want um, people to, to start thinking about. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, that was something that, that was definitely transformational in the way that I think about um, economics in general, but also just our, our like systemic framework uh, in this country, especially. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, so I actually wanted to ask you a question. Um, do you think that maybe this generation can come up with a new term in ways that we can, whether that be in the, the climate change activism field, continue to come up with terms or continue to come up with um, theories for that matter on what what would you say, bringing that up, do you think there's more, um, there's more of a need to um, in a certain area or, um. Oh gosh, I don't think I can name any one area because everything's kind of expanding outward in every direction as people mm -hmm. are recognizing all the intersectionalities between different topics and fields of study and the way yeah. that things within our society all interact um, with one another. And then again, turning back to uh, where the real issues are um, and trying to find ways to fight that. And we do have to really rally together at a larger level to face those larger issues at, at a systemic level. So doing things like, um, and of course it's not an end all solution either because um, there's a lot of inequities with this as well, but voting whenever you can in local elections too. Um, writing to legislators, advocating, mm -hmm. holding yeah. people accountable, holding companies accountable too. Um, another quick example is uh, our 
plastic bottle industry for like water bottles or soda bottles and things like that. Um, they all used to be, at least with soda bottles, they used to be glass bottles that would come in a little crate that they would drop off around and you would put your, uh, after drinking your soda, you would put the glass bottles back in there and give it back. And the company, uh, like Coca-Cola, for example, is, is what I'm using right now, actually. Um, they would bring it back and clean it and reuse the bottles over and over and over. So it was an effective recycling solution. They wouldn't have to make as many new bottles. But at some point, the companies decided that it would make more economic sense for them if they started using uh, plastic when it was invented because it's cheap. It uses really uh, cruddy materials, quite frankly. And then they can just dump it somewhere and bury it and not have to worry about it again. Um, and that, that's when we really saw the rise of recycling in the United States was after that. But what I'm getting at is that they shifted the responsibility of taking care of that waste from the industry onto the consumers. And so we really have to put that accountability back on those who are creating the problems. Yeah. Um... Yep. Say it louder for the people in the bathroom. Say it louder for the people in the hallway. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I definitely think that we are trying to tackle these um, issues, but there's also so much groundwork that needs to be emphasized or just acknowledged. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I definitely also think that um just recapping on that one um what was said earlier that if you have a thousand people trying to just improve their climate change practice more positive climate change practices and perfectly there you there you go you already have like some change within there and so yeah i just really wanted to emphasize that quote or that emphasize that and so yeah yep. 100% <laughs> yeah and so I wanted to talk about uh, again about small scale and large scale lenses mm -hmm. and um, so yeah I think that we as a society are not talking or what are we not talking about or what are we talking about in the education of youth and what does that look like what can that look like um, and yeah, because we all share the earth, we all, whether you're, whatever you identify with, we all have the earth in common. And so as cliche as that sounds, it's, we're all going to be impacted by whatever is happening um, around us. And yeah, I definitely just wanted to continue of uh, the combo on what countries are um if one could argue that well some countries are more advanced or less advanced and for example like COVID-19 highlighted environmental issues and how did that look like for tourism um I did read an article about tourism and climate change um and if you have a place of tourism it's more likely to have more um f higher rates of um um, how is it being affected um, climately or just the the impacts it has on the climate of this environment due to tourism and 
um, I saw on a I think there was a picture on Instagram that was going around um, highlighting uh, Venice, Italy. Um, and the caption was, the water hasn't been as clear in years. And that just further emphasized how COVID is highlighting, how COVID is highlighting these environmental issues or the importance of or the work, the groundwork, or just in general, um, emphasizing how COVID is helping or maybe exposing these um, mm-hmm. actions. And yeah, I wanted to bring that up. And if you have anything to add on. Tourism and, and outdoor recreation in general, too. I just want to bring up with outdoor recreation really quick. I just thought of another really um, useful resource. There's a group that I follow on Instagram called Melanin Base Camp. And I believe it was actually something I read an article in one of my classes here at OSU that's about um, the inequities of outdoor recreation and how those systems came to be. Uh, and it really starts in the founding like of our park systems and uh, the inde- indigenous genocide and, uh, and continuing genocide as well, cultural and physical and ways that um, certain voices have been erased and all of the ways that those parks have been structured have been around uh, the wants and privileges of the most privileged groups in the country. So that got a little off track as well, but Melanin Base Camp is a really great group. They had a really um, great article that I read in that class and I highly suggest following them. Uh, to learn more about those things and how um, social movements as well as environmental movements should be uh, working together and going in the same direction. But on the side of tourism um, as well, and still related to outdoor recreation, but uh, like you said, there's a lot of tourists that visit uh, Venice and locals there. We're seeing very clear water um, because of COVID because a lot of uh, industry shut down, people were all staying at home, so there wasn't uh, the kind of individual level pollution. In a lot of places, public transportation shut down as well, too. Like, really, everything shut down in quarantine because it had to, to keep people safe. Uh, we have a slightly different story in the U.S., <laughs> but um, for the most part, a lot of things did close down for at least a period of time. And in Los Angeles, for example, we saw Um, air pollution lower extremely significantly uh, during quarantine and in a lot of other cities as well. Air pollution cleared up a bit. Um, Facilities like meat processing plants or fish processing, even over in Newport, we saw, I believe it was last month or the month before, um, that there was a COVID outbreak there and in many other factories as well, um, unrelated to our food systems. But that just really exposed um, how more humane working conditions could be uh, integrated in this conversation of improving environmental factors as well as um, public health and wellness. So the pandemic, as absolutely devastating as it's been for so many people, has really been a turning point in some of these conversations or at least highlighting some of the 
um, connections between um, the connections between things as well. Yeah, yeah. Just I definitely think that the pandemic has highlighted certain um, factors, certain issues. Just highlighting what has been occurring to certain communities, and the need to um, for people to understand that these things are happening to these communities. Um, and what's the call to action? Um, because, um, for example, I was reading um, how um, with the pandemic, how are these um, post-pandemic, how are these communities going to be affected then? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that, that as well. Um, but yeah, um, do you have any, any other um, topics you would like to pinpoint on this podcast? I just want to say that we all need to make sure communities are working together and supporting one another, um, educating, focusing on youth empowerment, listening to um, and caring for future generations, and really acknowledging that your voice has a lot of power and can make a lot of change. And your individual actions can also lead to... um, or can inspire other people to create positive change as well. Yeah, I I agree to that. Um, but yeah, I I just want to restate the fact that um, it's okay to um, for someone to like not really know about climate change, but want to be more involved. Like that, and then and there is a great change to occur. Um, and so, yeah, I, there's a lot of wonderful climate change activists throughout. Um, and, yeah, I myself am always inspired by previous leaders, um, just general um, the long line of people that have been working for more equitable or greater path for um, actual <laughs> diverse um (laughs) for equitable yeah you know including um not everyone is free until everybody is acknowledged till everybody is um yeah because yeah anywho a lot of those voices go un unrecognized unacknowledged or just aren't in the spotlight that the world or the the nation is seeing and they need to be so yeah um And then we didn't get into this conversation and I won't dive into it, but I just wanted to mention that there's a huge part of um, mental health and well-being as well that is really um, pinnacle, I think, in this movement. So there's a lot of of negativity, of course, because we're talking about the, the end of life as we know it sometimes with just how devastating the impacts of climate change and these environmental issues will be if we don't succeed and um, mitigating or slowing down those things but we need to remember that there is still hope <laughs> that there's a yeah. lot that we can do and that it's not all on one person's shoulders that we're in this as a community mm-hmm. yeah yeah thank you so much for just emphasizing that um, I agree as well um, yeah thank you so much for joining me on this episode of you doesn't in coral um, you are appreciated um, yeah thank you so much for having me here this has been a really good conversation yeah no thank you all for tuning into this episode of us and bison and
Um, feel free to check out my other podcasts. And thank you. <laughs>